my back went out yesterday and uh, was able to kind of get it back in order so I could stand and do a few things. Y'all couldn't even tell, huh? No, see, see? I worked, I worked on it yesterday so I can be here with y'all today. <laughs> and I'm going to the chiropractor tomorrow, too. <laughs> I was in an accident on the 27th. A person going about maybe five miles an hour hit me, <clears throat> hit my car in the back. Do you not know that you can cause some real pain even at three to four miles an hour in a car? All that weight. And yesterday I had the effects of that accident. I felt a little something on that Tuesday. I don't need to go to the doctor, but I'm going tomorrow. I've already called the insurance to say, this is what happened. I'm going tomorrow. So as you get older, um, make sure that you get checked out if something is to happen. Um, But because I'm on 29 and not aging anymore, I've decided to hold right at 29. The rest of y'all keep right on aging. <laughs> so I want to remember. I want to remember the victims of Haiti, Florida, the various places where Hurricane Matthew has hit. I want to really keep those places in prayer. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. And I'll tell you why I chose this passage that, that ties into what we've been reading in Matthew. But I'm choosing the book of Luke today, chapter 4. Would you stand, please, as I pray, and then I'll have you to be seated. It is our privilege today, God, to be in this place, and we thank you for a place to come and worship you, where we can enter into the building and where we can come together as a body to be able to fellowship, to enjoy the fellowship and the company of one another. To be able to worship you together, corporately. We are so grateful and thankful to you that you have blessed us to have this place. Now we pray that you will occupy our heart. Your abode will be in us. We thank you today for those who you have already saved. You are already on the throne. Those that are still being drawn, we pray that hearts will be open to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor you today. We bless you. Now, those that are not feeling well in their bodies, we pray for them. The victims of the hurricane, we pray for all of the people, family members that lost loved ones, we pray for them. We lift up the Coleman families, lift up Nancy in a special way. We continue to pray for her and the family. We continue to pray for those that are dealing with various illnesses and situations. Those that are grieving. Those that are struggling. Then we thank you that we can look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord. Today we thank you for your your wonderful presence, your wonderful grace, and give us ears to hear. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 16 through 30. Now we've been in the book of Matthew, and the corresponding passage in Matthew would be 
Matthew chapter 13, verse, beginning at verse 53 to the end. But I'm going to read the passage in, in Luke because it gives us um, more detail. And so I'll read Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And this is what it says in the ESV, the English Standard Version. I believe it's followed. You can follow along on the board. And it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all people spoke well, excuse me, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came, came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. The title that I've given this message is, When Jesus Leaves Home Not to Return. When Jesus Leaves Home Not to Return. Let me jump right into the first point. Promise not to keep you past 4.30 today. Promise. <laughs> That's okay. 
I, I'm getting no pastor. That's okay. One person laughed. That's still good enough for me. <laughs> Point number one, the homecoming and church service. The homecoming and church service. Let me give you some context. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, Matthew states that Jesus, after hearing that John had been arrested, remember John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. After Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, the Bible says that Jesus left Nazareth and lived in Capernaum. In Matthew, he records in chapter 13 the incident that we just read in Luke. Now what Luke does, and Matthew refers to it, is right after the temptation of Jesus, or that when he was baptized and he was led into the wilderness, the Bible says that he was tempted by Satan. What Luke does, Luke goes straight to this verse here that we read in 16 right after. But I need you to note, you to note that in the sequence or chronology, that's not the order of all the events that took place. You see, when, when Luke wrote his two books, do we know what books Luke wrote? Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote this book to a person by the name of Theophilus. Theos, the Greek means God. Now, he was not God, but it, it, he had a position, it's believed, of rulership. When Luke wrote this, his two books, he addressed them to most excellent Theophilus. And he said that I'm going to write you an orderly account of the events. And the Bible says that Luke, that he researched everything very carefully. And so when you look at the book of Luke, you don't necessarily find a chronological order of the events that took place, but you find an orderly event based on the details and the things that he is focusing on. You follow me? So in the book of Matthew that we have been studying and reading, Matthew addresses this matter of Jesus going to his hometown in chapter 13, whereas Luke puts it right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, when we think about a homecoming, there's a song that talks about homecoming. You see, when we think about a homecoming, it really can be something wonderful. How many of you look at time look forward to your homecomings and going home on to see family and going away and homecoming? It's fun until somebody gets offended. <laughs> How many of you guys been to a homecoming and somebody got upset with another family member? Or even said, I ain't going because that person going to be there. Homecomings really can be wonderful. But you can bet on it, something's going to happen. The same thing is true when Jesus went home to Nazareth. It would be fair to say that Jesus could not live on this earth and not offend people. He, he, he just couldn't do it. You see, because he represents righteousness and he represents holiness, and it always comes into direct uh, conflict with, which, with that, 
which is of the world, that which is not holy. Holiness and unholiness just don't match. It don't mix. And so whenever Jesus comes into a situation, you know there's going to be conflict. Now, Jesus was well known in Nazareth. We sometimes, we, we really don't see those years between 12 and 20, but today I just want to give you a brief glimpse of Jesus, his life possibly in Nazareth, because the people even notice it. We won't just, we'll just mention it as we, as we look at some of the passages and some of the points that we'll be making. Now one of the things that we need to note is that Jesus went to the synagogue on a regular basis. He went to church. It was his custom, the Bible says, to go to the synagogue on a regular basis. And if Jesus went to church, we should take note of that because if he went to church, it really would make sense for us to go to church. When I was growing up, I really didn't have a choice. I didn't. My dad didn't come in the room in the morning and says, son, how do you feel this morning? Do you feel like going to church this morning? My mom said, go touch his head, Fred, and see if he feels okay. If he doesn't feel too well, just let him sleep in today. That was not the case. I knew on Sunday mornings when I heard the call, it was time to get up. There was one particular I'm not sure if it was a Sunday or a weekday. My brother was in the bed and my grandma Ethel, my mom's mother, was here from Washington, D.C. And from my parents' room where there was, if the doors were open, it was open and our room was open, you could look right into the room. And she called out, Ronnie, are you up? Yes, I'm up. No, you're not. I'm looking. I'm right here looking at you. He thought he was getting away with something. He wasn't up and she's right there looking. We did not have a choice of going to church. Now, I told you this before, but there were some Sunday nights, because they used to have church on Sunday nights in the past. People from Woodacre, the Norwood, people from all over, they would come back to church. At that time, many people lived, lived in the area. And so, I mean, and people came right back to church. In fact, all the churches in Marin City had even a service at one point. But it was always a, a, a blessing when my parents, at about 6.35, 6.40, when Wild Kingdom was on, about to come on, if they didn't call us at a certain time, we knew that we might be able to stay home that Sunday night. At 6.50, if we're down there watching TV and they ain't called us, we know we get to stay home. We, we, gotta look at, we might get to stay home tonight. <laughs> we ain't got to go to church. And all we would hear sometimes is they got to get the clothes. Now, y'all behave yourself. Okay. <laughs> then they go down the street. They gone. <laughs> and you know we would act up. But Jesus went to church. It was his custom to go to church. And so we have to imagine that between the time when he was in the temple discussing with the religious leaders the things of God when his parents had left him there during the Passover, and he went home, the Bible says, and became subject to them, 
when they went back to Nazareth. Mary, his mother, was from Nazareth as well as Joseph. And so he went back home, and the Bible says here, the religiously, or the people, they said, we know this boy. As his custom was, not only as he got older, he was a young man who went to church. Jesus was in the habit of going to church. Now, in the church services, there were a few different things that happened. There would be a singing of of a psalm. When you look at the book of Psalms, Many of the psalms that David wrote, they were often put to music. But in the service, there would be the singing of a, of a psalm. And then there would be a, re, a reciting of what was called the Shema. Means, hear, O Israel. It was literally at one point, Deuteronomy, well, it still is, Deuteronomy 6.4. That was oftentimes the only verse that was stated. And that word Shema, and, and uh, Sister Michelle can correct me as she is a Hebrew, Hebrew scholar. <laughs> but but it, it comes from that first word, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That, that there was in the service, there would be a reciting. That was one of the most important passages in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. And so in the service, this would be one of the things that would be read. And then it began, it came to incorporate Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And then there's another part later on that then included Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses, I believe, 13 through 20 or 19, somewhere around there. And so in the service, there would be a reciting after the psalm, saying, of the Shema. There would also be a point of the reading of the, the, the book of Moses, which would be the first five books of the Bible, and a reading of the prophets. Now, get this. There were various people that would do the reading. There could be six to seven people that might read in the service. It's a wonderful thing when people read the word of God. Some of y'all need to put down time and ebony, jet. Some of y'all need to put down um, Henry Potter. Harry Potter, what's his name? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry, Henry, same thing. Y'all get it. Potter, put him down and pick up the Bible. <laughs> and so one of the things that would happen is that there would be assigned readings. And so when we look at this passage in the book of Luke, Jesus, having grown up there, the people knew him very well. So the Bible says that he comes back, he comes to Nazareth, and as his custom was, he goes into the synagogue. Now what is not known, and I believe it's divine, is it was from God's divine providence, but let's say that it wasn't. He is handed a scroll, and the scroll oftentimes, they, in the Bible it says biblion from the Greek, It means book, but they didn't have a book. It was a scroll that was unrolled. And they would read the passages. Now, in the Hebrew, from understanding, there was, as Michelle said, there's no punctuations, no capitalizations. And so Jesus would have to find the passage in Isaiah. And the Lord finds a passage from Isaiah chapter 61. What he records, what we just read, It's Isaiah 61. When you get a chance, write it down and go home and read it. This is what Jesus quotes or reads from when the scroll is handed to him. Now, some of the commentators say that it is possible that the 
attendant, the one in charge of the synagogue, may have given him this passage. But let's say that was the case. It would still be God's divine providence that on that day, at that time, that would be the assigned reading. But the way that Luke records it, he said that Jesus looked for the place and found where it says in Isaiah 61. And this is what it says again. I'm going to read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to to proclaim good news to the poor. You'll find that in one of the Sermon on the Mount we see back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Mm. You see, many of the people back in Jesus' day, many of the poor people, this would be wonderful news. You see, because to hear good news, Brother Jerry sings a song. Ain't that good news? (laughs) It would be good news to them because they were oftentimes oppressed by those that were in authority. So when Jesus talks about bringing good news to the poor, it would perk them up. It would give them something to hope for. And so Jesus finds a place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And after reading, he sits down. Now, one of the things that you I want to point out that you probably won't, you wouldn't necessarily notice. Not necessarily, you might. Is that when he hands the scroll back to him, he sits down. You see, back in this time, two things. Let me just divert for a minute. When Jesus got the scroll, the Bible says he stood to read it. The common place or the position for those that were reading, it was to stand. One of the reasons that the reader probably stood was so that he could be heard by everyone. But the position when he began to teach was to sit. The leader actually, or the rabbi, would sit to teach the people. But when the scripture was read, the people sat and the person reading would stand. And so he, after reading, he gave the scroll back to the attendant. Let me say this. God's word, when we think about it, is so unique that it can have an effect upon a congregation And the word spoken can address various needs and issues. Completely different in the person's life. It can deal with what what a person hears at the same time. God's word has a way of bringing conviction. It has a way of bringing comfort. It brings joy. It brings anger. It brings salvation. It brings resentment. All to people in the same place, but different ones. God's word does not do one thing. It doesn't return to him void. does not return back to Jesus, to the Lord void. But it has a variety of things that it does. Some people say, did you hear the message? Yes, I heard it. This is what it says. He said, I didn't get that out of it. Oh, that's what I got from me. It has a way of being able to meet the needs of a congregation and the people in various situations. And so when we think about this matter here, the Lord takes the scroll Read it, hands it back, and sits down. Now, look at verse number 21. And he began to say to them, to them, Today, this scripture 
has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what you don't necessarily know and see is that this really would be the concluding remarks of what Jesus preached about. There was a message that Jesus gave to the people prior to making this statement. Listen carefully. I'm going to try to prove my point. It appears that when Jesus gave the scroll back and he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, that he said nothing else, that was it. But that is not it. And we're going to see when we get to point number two. He preached a message, and in the concluding part of it, he tells them that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, whether it comes at the beginning, at the end, he gave a message. Point number two. A prophecy for the future and a lesson from the past. A prophecy for the future and a lesson from the past. In verse number 22, the Bible says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? When they made that comment, it wasn't simply from the reading of the passage. It was from all that he had said. And then when Jesus tells them that this scripture has been fulfilled, and all the people are speaking well of all the things that they have been hearing, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? It made them stop and go back and reflect. We saw this boy from the time of 12 growing up right here in the this, in this synagogue. Do you not know familiarity will breed contempt? Yes. If you become too familiar, says, oh, we know him. He ain't got nothing to say. We've known that boy all his life. It would tend to make you neglect and reject what the Lord may be doing in a person's life. And this is what happened with Jesus. Once he said all these wonderful things and the people heard, they paused and said, wait, wait a minute. We know this boy's mama and his daddy. And back in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 around there, you will find that it says they, he, they named their brothers and his sisters. It said, Aren't his brothers with us and his sisters? Ain't this Joseph's boy? And the comment that they made, it's not a matter of just inquiring. It's a matter of saying, where did this boy get this knowledge from? Where did he get this wisdom from? And it was, one, it was a statement more so of contempt rather than acceptance. Which then prompts Jesus to give this parable that says, and he said to them, Verse 23, doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. You see that part right there, Capernaum? Matthew gives all of the details and talks about all the miracles that Jesus had been doing. The people of Nazareth, his hometown, had been hearing about it, and now they bring up. Why don't you do what we've been hearing about your ministry in Capernaum and those other places? Do what you've been doing 
here that we've heard about. So we know that they have heard about the things that they've done, and they bring this matter up as a way of showing contempt for Jesus. They have rejected his word. They took offense at him. In his concluding remarks, he gives them this proverb. He gives them this statement. Doubtless you will quote to me, physician, heal yourself. And you know what? We see that when Jesus gets to the cross. It is said he saved others. Save yourself. This statement here, physician, heal yourself, was fulfilled when people looked at him on the cross and said, look at him, you can save others, but he can't even save himself. So although the people were saying wonderful things about the things that he said, in other words, they were marveling, but there was a rejection. You see, you can marvel at what a person say and at the same time reject what they say. You can hear the word of God and then not do anything about it. You can say, oh, didn't that person preach today and go out and not do anything differently? You see, the word has to get past your ears and to your heart. That it causes a change in your action and your attitude. It did not do, it, this did not happen for the people in, in Nazareth. Jesus goes home to Nazareth. But the people said, we know this boy's family. He said such wonderful things, but we saw him growing up right there on the front bench, kicking his legs. Where did this boy get this? Where did he get all this, all this stuff from? Now show us who you really are. We've been hearing about you, Capernaum. Do some of the miracles over here. Show us, who, show us some things, Lord Jesus. So Jesus is homecoming. His, his going to the temple starts off well, but it doesn't end well. You see, there are times when a person comes into church. and A person may feel, that preacher was talking about me today. Who been talking to that preacher? Telling my business. The word of God has a way of bringing conviction and speaking right into the heart. And you would swear up and down. That somebody been talking to the man or woman of God. Somebody been telling my business. I told him about that to tell. Who told him that? And so they, in their contempt, show their rejection. Now, let's go on. They're being sarcastic in their remarks to him. I'll be done in just a few minutes for today. It says, Verse 25, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elisha, when the heavens were shut up three and a half years. And a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them. Now, now, why would the Lord bring this up? He brings up Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was the person that took Elijah's place. When the Lord brings up this particular matter about the widow, he brings up the widow, he brings up the leper. Why does this bring up such contempt and anger in the people? Because he brought up two people that were Gentiles outside of the Jewish faith. 
He says, there were many people, many widows, many Jewish widows that Elijah could have gone to. But I told Elijah, turn and go to Zarephath. There you'll find a widow. That's back in the way back there. When the Lord was dealing with Elijah after the famine, when the brook had dried up and there was no more water, the raven stopped bringing food. The Lord told him, now turn and go to Zarephath. Now in Jesus' statement, he said, there were plenty of widows that I could have sent Elijah to that were Jewish. I could have sent him to one of them, but I didn't. And then for Elisha, there are many lepers. None of the widows received the blessing. None of the lepers were healed except one, Naaman, who was a Syrian. And when Jesus says this, it enrages the crowd that he's speaking to right in the church service. The preacher just got through. And as Jesus had been saying all these wonderful things and then brings up this matter here, the people knew exactly what it was. Gentiles. Gentiles. Their true intents and feelings came to the surface. It came, it came running to the surface. Their anger, their resentment came running to the surface. And the Bible says, now look, at, look, at, look at this. Verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath because they didn't like the Gentiles. Uh, let, me, let me say this. I know I'm going to get in trouble. What do you call it? I, I, I say things that's not politically correct. I'm going to say this. Y'all can see me around the corner, throw rocks at me a little bit later if you need to. But I'm going to say it. Black Lives Matter, be careful what you get on the bandwagon with. Thank you for being quiet. Every cop is not right and every cop is not wrong. There are some bad cops out there. Absolutely. They need to be dealt with. But just because they put on a uniform don't make them bad. Not every one of them. When a movement begins to try to kill and bring chaos and havoc, now get this to the established order of what God has put in place, which is law enforcement, you are fighting against what God has laid down. God will deal with those that are crooked. Now, why do I say that? When the children of Israel were in Rome, in Jerusalem, and the Romans were in charge, they had to obey the laws of the land, even though they were in bondage. We're not in bondage. They were living under captivity to Rome and they had to obey even though they hated the Romans but the Lord had sent them into captivity because of what they've done now I can't stand when I see people being killed black white whoever they may be I can't stand when unjustified homicide is occurring I can't stand the number of murders of blacks killing blacks in Chicago and all over the place. But we have to understand is that the order doesn't change from what God has put into place. And there's a right way to handle things and a wrong way. 
There's a right way to say, I don't agree with what you've done, and go about trying to make changes the right way, not the wrong way. And I think when one focuses on and says, our race matters and not yours, so that we're not outraged with injustice for all, that's a problem. When we think about what Christ does, we have to remember that he does not like anything that's unjust, period, and will deal accordingly with it. When these people came to Jesus, after he said this, the Bible says that they rushed him. They came to him. Look at what it says. They rose up and drove him out of the temple. In fact, they skipped the benediction. Came and grabbed Jesus to kill him because of what he said. He didn't say the politically correct thing. And went to go push him off the cliff. And the Bible says he walked right through them. Miraculously, he's telling ain't my time. And they could not kill him because Jesus decides when he's going to lay down his life. We've got to be so very, very careful what we do. If I got a disagreement with the person in such situation, we need to go deal with it in the appropriate way. Now, something I'm going to tell you as we conclude. When you continue reading Isaiah 61, verse 2, Jesus doesn't quote part B of the verse. Part B of the verse talks about vengeance and wrath and judgment. He stops after dealing with salvation because he came on his first coming to bring salvation to those that were in need, those that were sinners. He came to bring good news. And so he does not even quote. He stops in the middle of verse 2 and does not read part B of the verse. But he is going to deal with part B when he comes back a second time. You see, people that think they're getting away with things, they're not. Cops that think they're getting away with things when they're wrong, they're not. People that are taking lies, any type of people, they're, they're not getting away with it. The only way to be, to be delivered and to be saved is when one repents and says, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've done all this craziness in case I am sorry for what I've done. Only the person that repents can be declared righteous before the Almighty God. You're fighting the losing battle when you say, I'm going to take this battle upon myself. I don't care what such and such a person says, I'm going to do it myself. Be very, very careful. Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine. The Lord says, I'll repay. If a person messes with God's children, we are called the apple of his eye. And when somebody messes with you, don't you know that God says, I'm going to deal with that person. You don't have to worry about trying to get even yourself. Say, Lord, such and such is bothering me. Did you see that? I'm going to leave it in your hands, Lord. I'm going to leave it to you because I know you know how to deal with it. So we have to be very, very careful. In conclusion, whenever there is a vacuum of Jesus' presence, it will be filled with everything else. From the White House to the Dog House, from the police station to the courthouse, wherever there's a vacuum of righteousness in the streets and in the church, if there's a vacuum of righteousness, it's going to be filled with everything else. 
wherever there's a vacuum, it's going to be filled. Make sure that in your life it is not void of Jesus Christ. It's going to be filled with something else. So we want to make sure that we don't act like the people of Jesus and the people of Nazareth. And guess what? The Bible says that he left Nazareth. And there is no record of Jesus ever going back to Nazareth. When Jesus leaves and doesn't return, return, it is the most miserable situation. He does not return in Scripture that we see to Nazareth again. And so they pushed Jesus out. And it was filled with everything else. Bow your heads. Today, God, in this place, we never want to be void of your spirit. We don't want to be like those in a temple that takes holiness and righteousness and pushes it to the brink of throwing it off the cliff. We never want to take God. We never want to take the word and push you away. But, oh, we want to embrace the word of God. We don't want to create a vacuum where the Lord is not filling. We won't like what will come. And so we pray that in this place that we will be mindful that you have called people to yourself. And you are the one that does the filling. You do the drawing as well. Nazareth did not even know they were a blessed people because the Lord was raised right there in that place. And then left because they didn't have room for your word. May we be a people that always makes room for the word of God. Always receptive. To what the Lord says. We love you this day. Help us in our service to you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.